welcome to episode 8 of the SkyCast, presented by Lockdown Women's Basketball and High Post Hoops. I'm your host, Nick Niendorf, here to talk to you about all things Chicago Sky. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on Twitter at LockdownWBB and at High Post Hoops for 24-7 coverage of women's basketball. We're coming back, of course, from All-Star Weekend, so we got plenty to talk about on that front, as well as the Sky's game last night. They lost a close game against the Connecticut Sun after a huge comeback by the Sky that just came up a little bit short, so lots to talk about there, but first, All-Star Weekend. I don't know about you all, but I had a blast following All-Star Weekend. I wasn't actually there in attendance, but just watching on TV, I thought it was a super entertaining weekend of events, Friday, Saturday. I thought that the players really had a good balance of taking it somewhat seriously, but also joking all the way through. I think they bring a lot of levity to it and that and that helps for some things that are, you know, just simply competitions and obviously the all-star game itself, which is more of a showcase of offensive talent than anything. And so I just really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the attitude all weekend. And of course, there are plenty of storylines. You have Asia Wilson just being the ultimate hype woman, the ultimate hype captain for her team all weekend for her teammates. That was super fun to watch. Uh, But really, nothing beats out Erica Wheeler winning All-Star Game MVP. And I was going to talk about this a little later, but we can just jump right into it now. It's just such an incredible storyline that I really, I only had like a a cursory knowledge of. For those of you who don't know, Erica Wheeler really went through hell in college. She dealt with the passing of her mother and went undrafted into the WNBA and had to play in other leagues to try and make a living and continue getting better at basketball eventually did make it in the league, obviously, and kind of just transformed herself into this dynamic player and obviously got her all-star selection this year. Only the fifth player who went undrafted to make the all-star game and the first in in quite a while. And so to see her not only be very present during all-star weekend, but to see her win the actual All-Star Game MVP, was it was just so awesome to see. And she absolutely deserved it. She really put the team on her back. She had just an amazing span across eight minutes where she just hit a ton of threes in the first half of the game. And then, of course, hit the dagger three at the end to ice the game for her team. And, and then just the emotion that she showed in her interview after the game and the emotion of all of the All-Stars that were present there was really I mean if you didn't if you didn't shed a tear or at least get a little teary eyed during that I don't know I don't know how you're human that just that was one of those interviews that really kind of transports you away from you know some of the giddiness and fun of All Star Weekend and makes you think a lot more makes you a lot more aware that these players are people they have different stories and Erica Wheeler's is incredible and if you haven't read it yet Lindsay Gibbs had an amazing article for the ringer where she really went in deep into Erica Wheeler's story and if you want the entire background all the little details that I left out absolutely check that out pause the podcast right now read it it's incredible one of the best articles I've read this entire season so highly recommend that so Erica Wheeler for me was easily the highlight of all-star weekend and that's saying a lot for me I had like I said I had a ton of fun watching all-star weekend and just going through the events the skills challenge which when I watch the skills challenge in the NBA it's really one of those things where I'll watch it if one of the Chicago Bulls who is the team that I follow and root for I'll watch it if, if one of their players is in it Otherwise, I might have it on. I might not. It's really not something I'm super invested in. But this skills challenge was so much fun. And obviously, Diamond to Shields and Courtney Vandersloot 
were in it. And so I had a little bit of that going for me, but still the players were just, they had so much fun with it. I swear diamond had the biggest grin on her face. Anytime she was on camera, uh, she was doing her little magicians hand gestures before one of the rounds. Uh, I, I think it was against Brittany Griner. I want to say, and Griner herself says dancing. It was just, it was so much fun. Cause you could, you could really tell that these players know each other, that they have a rapport with each other and they're, they're goofing around. And then also, you know, taking the competition itself seriously when they're actually in it. And, and so for me, that's what makes all-star weekend fun because I would say the three point contest is probably a little excluded from this comp from this conversation, but I think the all-star game and the skills competition are more so fun showcases of players skill rather than a really good showcase of the player skill. Like the, the three point competition I will get nervous for, like I will actively get nervous for players as I watch the number climb up or not climb up. And you're just like, Oh God, are they going to, are they going to break 10 in this round? You know, I will get nervous for that for players, but obviously the other two competitions I have very little investment in on like a, a personal level, which is why I'm glad they, they made it fun. And the skills competition is often something that can be very hit or miss, but I thought they did a, a good job making it fun. And part of it was, I swear in almost every round, there was a player who had just an easy chance to win, but they missed their three. And then the player dribbling behind them pulled up for usually a deep three and then hit it. And so that was exciting to watch. I enjoyed that diamond. I think won two of her rounds doing that. So kudos to her for coming in clutch. Not, not surprising at all, but moving on to the three point contest uh, again, like I said, this is the one where I probably get the most invested in on a competitive level. And obviously Allie Quigley did not get a chance to defend her title in the second round. She got knocked out by a very narrow margin, very narrow, but Knocked out nonetheless. Uh, was sad about that, obviously. I really thought she had a chance to three-peat, which would have been super cool. But, you know, we got some new blood in the second round. And, I mean, you you got to feel bad for uh, Kayla McBride because she, in back-to-back years, has obviously come in second place. And last year, she just ran into Allie Quigley. Like, there is nobody in the history of basketball who is going to be Allie Quigley in that competition? I don't. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you were feeling. Allie Quigley was unstoppable. But this year, Kayla McBride did have that chance, and she was on her final rack, and really just missed a couple shots. So she could have. She could have tied it or just gotten the win right there. And so I did kind of feel for her. She. I'm sure none of these players get too wound up about these competitions, but obviously felt bad in the moment for her. But you know, I hate to revel in somebody else's sadness or pain, uh, but Sabrina Merchant, who you can follow on Twitter at Sabrina JM, had one of the best tweets that I have ever read. And she said, when it comes to the three-point shootout, she's always the McBride's maid, never the McBride. Again, that's Sabrina Merchant at Sabrina JM. A Hall of Fame tweet if I've ever seen one. Probably the funniest WNBA tweet I've ever read. And and again, that's that's what I love about the All-Star Weekend is you get you get a lot of really good, funny content on it. And a lot of it is a bit of at the expense of the players, but the stakes are so low that you don't even feel bad for laughing. So so shout out to Sabrina for that content. Uh, moving on to the actual game. Uh, you know, for me, I enjoyed it. Again, it's just fun to see the players kind of goof around, laugh with each other as try to break each other's ankles, just try to score a bunch of points. 
I I still do not understand how there are people under the age of like 60 or 50 that get mad about there being no defense played in the all-star game. I, I really do not understand how this is still a thing. How I still see people on Twitter complaining about this. Like, what do you expect? This is, this is a free weekend for the players, a fun weekend. Don't get me wrong, but it's a free weekend for the players to play more basketball that they really don't have to for our enjoyment. And I think it would just be stupid if people play defense the full game and risked injury, because that's dumb at this point in the season, there's no reason to risk an injury like that. And so I, I don't know. I just cannot stand when I see that on Twitter. I don't see it as much as I used to. I, I'll, I'll give these people that. Maybe they've, maybe they've improved. They changed their viewpoints. But I still do see it. They always come out of the woodwork, you know, during the NBA All-Star Game, WNBA All-Star Game. See it for the Pro Bowl as well, which the Pro Bowl is even dumber to complain about that. But that's a whole, a whole another thing. So. For me personally, let me go on the record. I do not care about defense in the all-star game. That's it's a non-issue. Let's be real. So again, for me, it was fun. A lot of offensive talent being showcased. It was kind of fun. Diamond to Shields when she came into the game, uh, started playing like decent defense, you know, giving people space, but playing more defense than other people were playing. So that's kind of fun, I think, on an individual level. But it's when entire teams are doing it. It's just no, get get out of here. Stop that. You know, until it's a uh, fourth quarter, we don't we don't care. Um, another interesting thing of note was, uh, the subs rule, which the rollout for this rule was just bizarre. Felt like very sudden, very not like built up for, and everyone was kind of just, I feel like everyone was just kind of like, okay, thanks WNBA. This, this is interesting. Um, but it just wasn't, it wasn't really a factor at all. I know Courtney Vandersloot actually was the first person to do it. And really didn't like think about it much at all. I almost like the broadcast crew almost, it took them a couple seconds to realize what was happening. It just felt like everyone, the coaches, the players, all the media, we, we, it felt like everyone was just like unprepared for, for this being in a facet of the game. And then after that first sub, it really wasn't much of a big deal. I, I honestly like couldn't, couldn't tell you how many subs there were in the game. I don't, didn't feel like they were that many, but I did read on Twitter that it seemed like Bill Lambeer was uh, abusing it a little bit because he was having players actually go onto the court before players were coming off of it. So, I mean, that's just funny because it's Bill Lambeer. But yeah, I, I I thought it I thought it was weird. I I wonder if it had been you know made a bigger deal of earlier, or they told the coaches like, hey, like you can you can get like ten a quarter, and we want you to use all of them. Maybe that would have changed things. Uh, also, the shot clock being 20 seconds, I think is interesting. But in an all-star game, it truly does not matter. There, There's not going to be more than three passes in any one possession. So that really that had no effect on the game, uh, at least from my point of view. If you were a human and you have a heart and you watched this game, you absolutely loved the dynamic between Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley, who had their own little battle, uh, which, you know, Courtney Vandersloot was talking a lot of trash leading up to All-Star Weekend, saying that she was going to lock Allie Quigley down if they were on opposite teams. And, you know, they were on opposite teams. And Allie Quigley, Allie Quigley definitely won this one. She hit two threes in Vandersloot's face and then blew by her on one play and was was clearly talking some trash. And, and I swear, I don't know if I've ever seen Allie Quigley talk trash to another player. So that was obviously fun to see. Again, I thought All-Star Weekend was just full of these little little storylines that I enjoyed. And so definitely definitely a fun time for me. I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad that it's not going to be around 
next year, obviously with the Olympics coming up. And so I saw, you know, big discussion on Twitter, of course, future locations for the all-star game. Um, I think Chicago as the destination is interesting in the sense that this sky team could be really, really interesting in a couple years. Who knows where they'll be? Um, when you think about the fan base that they could build up, that they are building, especially as they improve, if they improve, I think that could be a very interesting facet of an all-star game coming to Chicago. Obviously, being in the summer, you, you have great weather in Chicago in the summer. It's an awesome city to be. There's a lot to do with that. But again, I think it's going to be, and this has been talked about on Twitter a ton, but I think it's going to be super hard to follow up this all-star weekend because Vegas just showed out. They really did. They they made this a really fun weekend. This is the most fun I've had watching any All-Star weekend, I would say. The most entertained I've been, for sure. And so I, I think it would be – it's going to be tough for whoever has to follow them. So almost maybe it's a good thing that they'll have a, that season break in between to kind of make you know everyone forget and they can leave more of their own mark. I think um, if I was going to pick a non-Chicago city, I think I'd go with L.A., I think, again, that L.A. just kind of lends itself to an all-star weekend. I think there's a lot to do with that, a lot of Hollywood stuff to do with that. So I think that's another city I, I would like to see with an all-star game. I think I think the city itself would, would get really hyped for that. And the last thing I'd like to talk about is some additions I'd like to see. And most of these aren't, like, super original. They're things that are thrown around for a lot of all-star games. Um, and a lot of them aren't necessarily realistic. Number one is always a one-on-one -on -one tournament between players. And I mean, this gets suggested all the time and obviously shot down for the same reason as defense in the all-star game It's injuries. But imagine somebody like diamond taking on Elena Della Don, who I'll go on the record right now. And this is probably one of the coldest takes you can have, but in a one-on-one -on -one tournament, I'm picking Elena Della Don 10 times out of 10. I'm sorry. She's too big, too unguardable. And I think in one-on-one -on -one games, having size and also having guard skills and quickness, that makes you just impossible to guard, in my in my humble opinion. But yeah, I, I would love to see a one-on-one -on -one tournament at some point. I always think um, a lightning or knockout, if, if you're a heathen and you, you call that call that game knockout, to you know get that involved in some way would be kind of fun, whether it's to determine who starts with the ball instead of a jump ball. I don't know. That's one of the sillier suggestions. Uh, I see horse thrown around a lot and I'm actually, I don't think horse is that fun to watch. I think it's really fun to play, but I really do not think that horse is all that fun to watch, especially because a lot of times with professional basketball players, when they play horse, they're so good that the games just last forever and they kind of get down into boring shots that are like obviously they're challenging, but they're not what you want to watch for like 30 minutes. So I personally do not think horse would be a great all-star event. I think it I think it would be a, a snooze fest. Again, horse, don't want to hate on the game of horse, super fun to play, but not not super fun to watch, at least in my opinion. And then lastly, and I cannot believe this is probably the biggest oversight by the all-star committee, commission, whoever does all all-star activities high leader, whoever, not televising the Papa Shot games that happened before the actual All-Star game will go down as one of the biggest mistakes in All-Star history. And I say that as somebody who was not there and did not see any of these games, but based on people's Twitter commentary and what people were saying in some of the videos I saw, these games were incredible to watch, people were into them, and they were just super fun. And I cannot believe that I did not have the option 
as a paying subscriber to these streaming platforms, I did not have the option to watch Papa Shot. I, I need Papa Shot. I need professional Papa Shot commentary. I need players involved, WNBA players involved in a Papa Shot tournament. I think that that has to happen. So if you are lucky enough to be selected as the next city to host the All-Star Game, please give me a call. I got a lot of really good Papa Shot ideas. Let's talk. So that was All-Star Weekend. Again, lots of fun. Kind of sad we won't have it next year, but the Olympics are a pretty good compensation prize. Um, But now I want to move forward and talk more about Sky-specific things. Obviously, they had their game last night. Um, And first, I want to talk about the travel issues that happened. I don't want to harp on this too much because a lot's been written about it. And a lot of things have been written about in the past and people smarter than me and more in tune with the situation can talk about it. But, and I think this is probably the general consensus by just about everyone involved, fans, players, media, executives, everyone. It's just, it's ridiculous that this is still a thing. Uh, And for those of you who are out of the loop, the sky we're supposed to leave at 2 PM from O'Hare on a United flight did not end up getting into Connecticut until late into the night. Um, did not end up leaving O'Hare until after midnight. And obviously their game the next day was at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And so when you're talking about players having to go through walkthrough, doing a pregame shoot around earlier in the day, which most teams do, when you're talking about all the preparation that players and coaches and personnel go through to get ready for a game, getting in that late is absolutely ridiculous. And obviously Coach Wade ended up cutting the shoot around in the morning to give his players some more time to rest. But still, you leave Sky players playing gas, playing frustrated, not on a ton of sleep. They obviously got quite a bit of rest during that All-Star weekend. They had one of the longer All-Star breaks, nine days. But I just, I always frame it by, I think of some of the worst travel days I've had that have been around 12 hours. And then I imagine myself having to play a professional basketball game shortly after that and going through all the preparation to do that. And I, it's, it's ridiculous that this is still an issue that's happening. The fact that teams are forced to fly commercial no matter what because of the CBA, which does expire at the end of the season. The fact that players and teams are forced to travel like that and they don't even have the option to try to come up with an emergency contingent or the league can't step in with an emergency contingent to avoid this is, again, it's just, it's ridiculous. And we saw this happen with the fever earlier this year. Uh, The Las Vegas Aces had a huge issue with this last year and ended up just forfeiting the game because they arrived there like hours before the game started. So it's just, it's disappointing that it's still a thing. And it's not like these teams are traveling with super tight margins. Again, the sky left or was supposed to take off at 2 p.m. That's very normal. That's well in advance of 24 hours ahead of time to get to Connecticut and get settled into the hotel. But it, it's, it's just frustrating. I, I don't know what else to say. And that's why I don't want to talk about it too much because I really, I just, it's just frustration that I have to express. So. I want to get that out there and really moving on to the game. I feel like the travel situation did kind of cast a bit of a cloud on the game. Um, And of course, you know, the sky players and James Wade were very hesitant to put any stock into that for the game. You know, they are competitors. They're there to play 40 minutes of good basketball. They expect to win every time they step on the court. So 
it's an annoying sideshow for them to have to deal with and to have hang over the game. And I was actually surprised. I, you know, I would have put money on, you know, the sky and really the sun starting the game off sluggish. I feel like that's pretty typical of post all-star break games. And especially with the sky's travel problems, I expected that to be, to be a thing, but they both teams came out of the gates, you know, guns blazing. Um, and part of it was some really good offense, some offense that was really fast, really physical. And a lot of it was just bad defense, which that's a little more what we might expect uh, post all-star break. I feel like defense is always the first thing to go and it takes a game or two for them to really get back into it. It takes some practices to really get back into it. Um, but for the sky, it was an inconsistent game. Again, I think the travel issues kind of make it a hard game to evaluate, but really after the second quarter or in the second quarter, the sky just fell apart completely defensively, offensively, they couldn't buy a bucket and that kind of continued into the third quarter. And it was, it was kind of what I might've expected just considering the sun were at home. They didn't have those travel issues and the sky just had dealt with a lot and they're an inconsistent team to begin with both on a game to game basis and in games themselves. So that didn't necessarily feel super surprising and that continued through the third quarter. But what did take me back was the sky launched an absolutely just massive comeback and they did it with probably around five and a half, six minutes left in the game. You could say the comeback started, but really the bulk of their points and the bulk of their comeback was with four minutes left with three minutes left with two minutes left. That's when they really did the majority of the lead cutting to make it a a real game. You know, when they got within 10 points, I feel like getting within 10 points when there's two minutes left in a basketball game is always one of those things where it piques your interest, but you're not necessarily invested because 10 point leads are still hard to overcome in that short of a time. But credit the sky, they just kept chipping away at the lead. And obviously they weren't able to get it done in the end, but I thought that was, that was a really good, a really good sign from them that despite everything they had to deal with, they were still able to launch such a a spirited comeback that I wouldn't say was necessarily kickstarted by the bench, although the bench did seem to change the tone of the game a little bit, if not uh, the score differential. And then the starters really kind of just came in and and took care of business um, for a while, obviously. Like I said, this guy did not come out with the win, but it was was a good thing to watch. And of course, you know, in the post-game interview, None of the players and Coach Wade, none of them were happy that they lost. It wasn't a a moral victory, but it was definitely as encouraging as a loss can be. And I don't want to say it was a wash because a loss is still a loss in your schedule. And no matter what the circumstances are, that's something that the Sky have to deal with going forward is having that extra loss in their schedule when they're in a season where they really want to lock into the playoffs early and they'd love to jockey for a first round bye. And they are certainly in position to do so. Um, it's still a loss on their schedule, but not something that necessarily sounds off all the alarms, at least for me. And I think there were some positive takeaways. Um, I thought that Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley looked great all game. I think everyone else had maybe moments at best, but really they were the only two players that put in a, a, an overall good game, I would say. They both dished in 20-plus points apiece. Um, and really were consistent throughout the whole game. I thought they contributed the whole way. And Courtney Vandersloot in particular just looked super aggressive from really the start of the game. It wasn't like, you know, this guy were down 20 and she tried taking control of the game. I thought from 
the moment that ball was tipped, she was she was going at the defense. She was going at the rim. And so that's really interesting because I don't necessarily see her as a super aggressive player, especially early on. I always feel like she prefers to get into the rhythm of the offense. She prefers to dictate things for everyone else before she's going to look to uh, score herself. But she really was trying to take control of the game early on, at least take control of the sky's offense early on in an aggressive manner. And so that was interesting to me. I wonder if that's something that we'll see going forward. If that's just a product of she has really fresh legs after playing quite a few minutes all season, after having a pretty good usage percentage all season, if she just had fresher legs to be able to do that. Um, And of course, you know, finishing with 11 assists have to keep making note of that. Uh, I personally think she's going to beat her assist record from last season wrote an article about this that you can check out on high post hoops um but she's not quite on pace to break it but if she plays every game of the season uh which she did in last season she will break it at her current average and i honestly i i kind of just expect her at this point to have these types of games when you get into july when you get into august because that's just what she's proven she can do and so i fully expect her to keep going off and i think this aggressive mindset could be a big part of that As far as Allie Quigley goes, uh, again, somebody we've discussed a ton on this podcast, how she can be more aggressive. And I did think she was a bit more aggressive during this game. Saw some more off-ball action. Not quite as much off-ball action as we saw the game directly preceding All-Star break. Um, But there were were a couple off-ball screens she ran through. Uh, She seemed a lot more comfortable with the ball in her hands, attacking the basket, creating for herself. So... I thought that was a good sign. Still got quite a few of her baskets in the flow of the offense, but, you know, definitely look more aggressive overall. So I think that's, that's again, a good sign going forward because the question all season when she's had these good performances, can it, can it continue? Obviously, it's not going to be 24 points every game, but can she keep putting herself into positions to have those really good scoring nights? And I think she did that last night. For the rest of the team, obviously, there was no Gabby Williams. She didn't travel with the team due to illness, um, but pretty much everyone else on the team got some play time. And overall, I mean, you talk about, you know, Diamond to Shields obviously had an off night. She didn't shoot the ball well and kind of just had a night that is pretty typical for her when she's not shooting the ball well, you know, still going to give you some, some good defense, but her contribution is obviously limited as, as with any player when they're not shooting it well. Uh, Stephanie Dolson got into foul trouble again, and that's, that's been a problem for her this year. Anytime she gets into foul trouble early, it just, it takes her out. And she's somebody who hasn't consistently been a huge contributor for the team. And I don't even want to say that because more often than not, I thought that she has contributed positively to this team, but there have been quite a few off nights where, you know, she hasn't contributed at the same level that we expect from her at this point in her career. Um, It does seem like when she gets into foul trouble, that's what really throws her off because it limits her minutes. It limits how she can play defense. She gets frustrated. And I think that definitely changes the dynamic of the team, changes the dynamic of her play style and and really affects the team overall. Um, Jantel Lavender uh, rebounded well in the game, but you know, again, like I would say most of the skies players fell into this same mold, but just didn't feel super in tune with the offense. They all kind of felt out of sync. I don't know if that's just all-star break rust due to lack of practice and due to lack of games, but you know, it was a little worse than you, you might expect given how, you know, relatively short the break is compared to the rest of the season. Um, I thought that a Stu knew 
uh, looked pretty good. She looked pretty aggressive in her limited play time. We obviously haven't seen too much from her because she's been playing overseas. And Katie Lou Samuelson, we got a Katie Lou Samuelson sighting last night, and she she got a decent amount of play time. She obviously hasn't played much this year. She dealt with her wrist injury and is obviously growing as a rookie, learning how to play at a WNBA level, and is obviously buried behind some very talented players. But you know, I gotta I, I tweeted this out, but you gotta give Katie Lou credit for how little she has played this season and how much she has dealt with in terms of injuries. She looked she looked pretty good last night. Obviously a limited contribution which is somewhat expected when your playtime is also limited, but I thought she looked much more comfortable setting screens, positioning herself around the arc, moving around. She just looked a lot more comfortable than she did in the earlier in the year where, you know, I thought that earlier in the year she looked she looked pretty bad and I thought defensively obviously Limited playtime, so hard to gauge how impactful she can be. But she definitely seemed to look better on that end of the floor as well. So I wouldn't mind seeing some more Katie Lou, but I think that's probably unlikely to see a ton of her as long as Gabby Williams is healthy. But definitely a good sign moving forward. Obviously, this guy had a lot of young players, and so seeing Katie Lou show a little bit of that promise in her first year is a good sign for future years and, and future seasons. Another player I want to talk about a little bit is Jameer Faulkner, who obviously came back from a two-year absent with injuries and came back midway through the season, and her playtime has obviously been limited. It's been controlled so far as she kind of works her way back into the system, works her way back through injury to a level that she's comfortable with. Um, But she actually got a considerable amount of playtime last night, at least compared to her playtime so far this season. And I thought she looked she looked pretty good. Um, it's it's clear. I don't want to say she doesn't feel comfortable being super aggressive on offense because I I don't like to I don't like to project what what I think on the players' feelings and emotions, especially as they are recovering from injury and dealing with that. You know, it's obviously very taxing mentally. But I yeah, I don't think she's necessarily at the level yet where she's going to try to make this offense her own and score on her own, but she doesn't feel out of place at all within the offense. Like she definitely seems to fit well in the offense. I never feel like she's out of position. I never feel like she's handling ball screens weird. It just, she seems like a very natural fit, which again, she's, she's been on the sky for a while, but with a new head coach and her having been out for so long to see her kind of come back in and fit so well with this team is, is really nice. I don't, I think for the sky to really make use of her as a backup guard, a backup point guard, I, I think we need to see a little more of that scoring, make her more of a threat, which she hasn't been much of a shooter in the past, but if we could see her get to the rim more and and make those attempts, I think that would be huge for them. But I will say she has gone to the rim um, in the limited playtime that she's had. She usually just ends up kicking it out, though, and so I'd be interested to see what her finishing is like post-injury uh, and how she handles that as she – Again, continues to get back into the swing of things, but I thought she she impressed me. Definitely not maybe the dynamic playmaker yet that the Sky probably need coming off the bench, but I think that she has shown that she is a very valuable bench piece for this season. As far as looking forward, uh, again, I don't want to I don't want to say that you know those travel issues completely negated anything we could gain from the Sun game. Because obviously we just we just talked about quite a few things and I, I wrote about some things in that in that game article. 
But I, I do think that it's not something that should be dwelled on. It's a loss against one of the best teams in the league at home. So it's nothing to hang your head over. And to see that come back, I thought was, was a good sign of things, but this upcoming weekend's game, I think it, it's go time. It's, it's kind of like, okay, let's get our wins now so that we can not coast through the rest of the season, but not have to stress about making the playoffs the rest of the season. And again, worry more about jockeying for position than just jockeying for the playoffs, period. So grab a couple of wins, get a win this weekend, and start cementing your place in the playoff standings. I think that's going to be huge for this guy. It's obviously their game plan moving forward, win games, big surprise. But I think for how inconsistent this team has been, I'd really just rather, I'd rather see them get their wins now than, you know, if they go on a losing streak, they can afford to go on a losing streak rather than, you know, if they lose their game this weekend and they drop another, that's where you start getting into the danger zone of, oh, we're 500 again. And New York Liberty, who we really had at a, a good distance away from us, is now even with us or a game back or a game ahead. You don't want to fall into that trap where you have to play from behind because as inconsistent as the sky are, you just you don't know if they're going to be able to do that down the stretch of the season. So go and get a win this weekend. I think that'll be huge. I'm excited to see how they play. Obviously, they'll have they'll have some rest from this game. Hopefully, won't have any more travel issues. But more importantly, they'll have some some good hard practices in between now and that game that should hopefully help straighten things out. Well, thanks for listening to episode eight of the Skycast right here on Locked On Women's Basketball and High Post Hoops. My name is Nick Neendorf, and if you like what you heard here today and you want more coverage of the Chicago Sky, make sure you're following us at Locked On WBB and at High Post Hoops. And feel free to follow me on Twitter at Neendorf21. If you don't know how to spell it, just check the title of this podcast or the title of the podcast article, and you'll find that easily. And if you're interested in having any comments or questions answered on the pod, make sure you shoot us an email at the skycastpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter.